You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. Tonight our study takes us finally uh, out of the uh, terrible uh, studies or study of terrible things maybe, uh, study of terrible things in the works of the flesh. But instead, now we're going to have the fruit of the Spirit, the thing which the the Spirit uh, produces in us. Uh, One of the things I think that people, especially those who had grown up under the law, as so many of Paul's audience had, and you'll sometimes see this uh, reaction today to folks who don't understand. Likewise, uh, you tell people, well, we're not under the Ten Commandments. We're not under the law of Moses. And someone says, oh, I can murder then. No, you can't. Uh, oh, I can commit adultery. No, ask your wife. Uh, I can have graven images. No, ask the Lord. Uh, I can profane the Sabbath. Well, on that one, we don't have a Sabbath to profane. Uh, so, I no, you can't profane the Sabbath because there's not one to profane. But what keeps us now from coveting and stealing and bearing false witness and all of those things of which the law had uh, forbidden What keeps us from that? Well, it's not because it's in the law that we don't do it, but because that's not how the Spirit of God has guided us. That's not how the gospel has instructed us. That's not what a disciple of Jesus would do. And so let's read, uh, again, our entire context. Galatians 5 from verse 16 down to verse 23. But I say, walk by the Spirit. So here we're going to find the directions of walking, where we're going to be headed. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition one to another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, excuse me, I may have left off goodness there, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. And so we saw that if we're led by the Spirit, we don't do the things of the flesh. Now, we might have a fleshly want to. We might have a fleshly desire to do so. But all of these things are to be denied. So we had the sexual things, the false religion things, the bad temper, the bad relationships, the bad uh, interactions with others. And then abuse of different substances and everything that's like it. All that disqualifies you from the kingdom. So we don't do those. Not because the law said not to, but because the Spirit of Christ says not to. We've been taught by the Spirit, not in the letter, but in the gospel. And so now we have the fruit of the Spirit. The thing the Spirit produces in us. We'll start with the three inward attitudes. Tonight we'll look at love. We'll have love joy, and peace. Then we're going to have things put on outward display, things others can see, 
So again, the opposite of those bad relationships and bad interactions before. Now we have patience, kindness, and goodness. And then we have these other goods as well. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So these are the things that we need. The, the things that the Spirit produces in us. And we think about how, uh, again, like James said, he said that uh, uh, the tongue was a, uh, a, a restless evil full of deadly poison, and it was really hard to contain it. So we ended up with this phenomenon in man that we don't see in nature, that a tongue would both bless and curse, yet in, in the natural world we wouldn't see a fountain that gave both bitter and fresh water. We wouldn't see a fig tree produce both olives and figs. We wouldn't see salt and fresh water in the same container. Yet, though, But in man, we will see the thing the spirit produces and the thing the flesh produces, sometimes at the very same time in the very same person. And so it's a great battle within us. Uh, from the Westminster Confession, it said this about uh, uh, sanctification. It says that there is some remnant of corruption in, uh, in us uh, whence arises a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And so we need to have these things produced in our life. And in order to do that, we're going to have to beat back. We're going to have to prune out. We're going to have to overcome the, the, the remnants of fleshliness that's within us. And so we can't be both bitter uh, and joyful. We can't be both hateful and loving. We can't be uh, blessing and cursing. And yet sometimes you'll see in a person almost at the same time both of these things. But we need to have the Spirit's produce completely fill our baskets, completely fill our lives, leaving no room for the rest. Uh, this is what we read just recently from Second Thessalonians. As Paul talked about the, the brethren on the path of salvation, he said, we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Here it is through sanctification by the spirit and faith in the truth. And it was for this that he called you through our gospel, that you might gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so salvation comes by the sanctification that is by the Spirit. These things of which we're going to speak, these inward attitudes, these things of outward display, these other goods, all of these things are going to be in that sanctification that is by the Spirit. This is what the gospel called us to, or as the Apostle Paul told Timothy one time, he said, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So this is what the gospel is to produce. This is what the gospel brings us by the Spirit. Love from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And so tonight, we'll study about this first one. And we'll take some time because it sort of is the granddaddy of them. It's the one from which so many others flow. That is love love. And so when we come to love, uh, we have a great variety of things uh, which love speaks to. In our English language, uh, we might talk about a, a strong preference for a thing, like, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. Uh, man, some, some bluebell with some vanilla bluebell with some cantaloupe on a hot evening like this. 
best thing in summer. I love ice cream. Doctor says I shouldn't, but I do. But that kind of a love, of a strong preference uh, for and a strong like, uh, that is not usually uh, the biblical love. There is some occasions where a strong preference for a thing, uh, a strong feeling for other people, uh, that would be described as love. Uh, we also use uh, love in uh, euphemistic ways, uh, in romantic uh, things, uh, both of the actual thing, and we use it also to speak of other things we don't want to say the exact word of. And you know what? The Bible talks about that kind of love uh, to some degree as well. It certainly blesses that kind of love within the bounds of marriage. Uh, gives some good, good descriptions. Uh, good, gives some good descriptions of it. Uh, we might also use love in the sense uh, of a family, a family obligation, of family uh, fidelity, of uh, uh, of those of whom uh, we're looking out for because of a family connection. And we'll find that the Bible talks about that as well. So we have both in English and in the New Testament wide variety of things uh, that are used for love. This is the one, though, this love is the, the love that is, uh, uh, honestly, it's a, uh, in the King James, it's often given as charity instead of love because it's talking about an act of benevolence. It's talking about doing the best for. The love that's of this passage is not always emotional. Now, it often is, but it is not always. So in the Greek, there were four different words for love. Uh, we, we use the same word to cover the whole thing. And in the, in the Bible times, they use four different words. And many years ago, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote of the four loves, and uh, which uh, nearly everybody who speaks about love today follows that outline. And uses that material because it's just superb. But he spoke of the four loves that uh, were in the Greek language. Uh, the first one was eros. So we get from that erotic. So it has to do with romantic love, has to do with physical love. It has to do with the way we euphemistically talk about love. That kind of love's in Song of Solomon. That kind of love is blessed uh, in the marriage bed, Hebrews 13 uh, and 4. Uh, that kind of love is acknowledged in, in the Proverbs where it talks about three things, two wonderful me, four that I don't understand. And one of those things, after the eagle in the sky, the serpent on the rock, and the way of a ship in the middle of the sea, is the way of a man with a maid. But that's not our love, and that's not our fruit of the Spirit love. Now certainly, our romantic relationships should be guided by this principle of love, and, and there's a certain way Christians should conduct themselves in those things, guided in the revelation of God, but that's not... Uh, the context of this love. There's that family love I mentioned. Uh, the Bible only uses the word that the Greeks use for family love. They had a separate word for that, uh, the, of, of familial obligation and familial uh, affection, uh, familial duty. Uh, and it's kind of the same. When I said duty and obligation don't quite get it, but that, that, that sense is there sort of like God's steadfast love of the covenant uh, that he has for his, through the covenant he has for his people, so we have in the, in the, in the family relationship. So there's this uh, storgos, uh, that's the Greek word, uh, storgos love. Uh, it's only mentioned twice in the Bible. It's both times in list of sins where it's missing, where there's people without natural affection. Uh, the, the, some of the old translations will say, some of the newer translations will say they are unloving or they're heartless. And it's mentioned with unmerciful 
And so think about those who walk away from their family, uh, men or women who abandon their covenant relationship in marriage and walk away from a spouse and walk away from their children or, or parents that abuse and, and don't provide for their children or for those uh, children who won't make a return to their parents or take care of their grandparents, that kind of thing. And so uh, these kind of people are listed, say, in 2 Timothy 3, where the other passage, it's Romans one thirty one and 2 Timothy 3, the list of sins there is unloving and with it irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, and haters of God. And I just really like the, that word brutal there in the list of sins of mistreatment of other people because sometimes that's just the best description. They just do brutally by others. They treat others in a brutal fashion. So again, that's opposite of love. Then, then we come to the two words, Phileo and agape, and, and I'm not sure if, if I took Greek, maybe I'd, I'd learned a better way to say one or both of those words, but the phileo love is the, uh, I really like it. I have an affinity for it. I have a, a connection to it. It, it. it touches my heart in, in an emotional fashion, and we have that word all over the Bible. We have it particularly in compound words. Uh, we have the uh, philagathos, those who love what's good. Uh, we have the uh, philandros, uh, which is the one who loves their husband. Of course, we have the, the word philanderer, and, uh, uh, which is not so complimentary, the one who loves women but not his wife. Uh, but in the New Testament, uh, you'll find those who are uh, philodonos, lovers of pleasure. But you'd also find those who are philotheos, lovers of God, those who practice philozenos, the hospitality or love of strangers, and sometimes for good and sometimes for ill, uh, those who have various uh, philosophies, philosophia, uh, they love wisdom. And again, it might be worldly wisdom, that's not so good, but they might love the wisdom and revelation of God, that's, that's a good thing. And so there's all kinds of philoses and philoses in the, uh, in the scripture, the philonikos, the lovers of strife, the philoprotio, the lovers of being first. There's also the Philadelphia folks, the ones who love their brethren. And so this, this uh, warm and tender affection is one commanded to us in the Scripture uh, in regard to brethren and, and commended to us in many regards. Uh, and it's sometimes used interchangeably with finally the love we have here, the agape love. It's not just that uh, the uh, philo or philo love is emotional and agape love is not, because sometimes agape love is quite emotional, but sometimes it's not. And philo love, uh, the warm, tender feeling, is sometimes listed in places where you think, well, the act of doing good is um, the word you'd expect, but it's not. And so the, the philo and the agape in, in good things are sometimes used interchangeably. They're not quite as separate as I think I thought they one time uh, might have been because in certain passages, they're basically used interchangeably. So we should have a warm infection. Uh, the, the, the love that the uh, fruit of the Spirit brings out in us should cause uh, there to be feelings of affection and kind-heartedness and tender-heartedness. But also, it should always be agape, which is mostly, not always, mostly a religious word. It's meaning, it means to uh, seek the best for uh, to be actively uh, pursuing goodwill and good actions, 
to uh, that's why it's charity in the old King James in some passages it is uh, it is an active benevolence it is it is a, a thoughtful a thoughtful concern for what is the best now if you have a thoughtful concern for what is best then I think uh, oftentimes the emotions will will come we think about the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan right? The good Samaritan, he acted as a neighbor. He acted out of goodwill, and he acted in the very best way for the man who uh, had fallen among the thieves. Uh, he gave him first aid. He put him on his own animal. He took him to a, a place of as comfortable as possible lodging. He provided for him uh, and cared for him personally uh, as he could. He left money in the, to, uh, that the man might be cared for in his absence promising to make good the debt upon his return. Now, all that is the very definition of this kind of love, this, this agape love of active goodwill. But now at the same time, think about it. What would that have produced in the, the, the man who fell among the thieves? What would his feelings be for the Samaritan as, as he comes to his senses, realizes what's being done for him, as he realizes the great care that's been shown him and the great compassion that's been demonstrated hour by hour and day by day. Would he not have a, a feeling, uh, an emotional connection, a philo love for the man who helped him? And the man who went so far out of his way to, to pick up a man and to carry him uh, to the place and to, to feed him and uh, clothe him and to do all the things that the Good Samaritan did, would he not have a great deal of feelings for the man uh, after that was done? Just imagine the, the man comes back uh, to the inn, uh, and if let's say that that fellow was still recuperating by the time he makes it back. What kind of reunion do you think they'd have there at the inn? As the Samaritan came back, finished having finished his business, on his way home, and he finds out this guy is still there recuperating, what, what would the reception be? What would the reunion be? Well, it'd be a touching one because their hearts had been knit together by the show of love. And so agape love starts with doing the best for. And then it moves as uh, if one has any kind of, uh, you know, compassion at all and reciprocation of feelings, it will move to the phileo. Uh, the definition of agape from the dictionary, again, is uh, active benevolence or doing the best for. The, the best definition uh, in Scripture, and this is one where we have love defined to great uh, deal of detail is 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul talked about the supremacy of love. And he said this, the love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, love does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it doesn't seek its own, it isn't provoked, it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. So that is the kind of love that I think only the Spirit could produce in us. Because you just look at the, that list of things, patient, kind, not jealous, no bragging, no arrogance, no unbecoming action, no self-seeking, not taking anything is provoking, not considering wrongs done against you. 
That's not how we naturally act. That's not the natural man. Uh, the, the, the only time you'd see this kind of thing in, in action uh, without it being uh, spiritually promoted is just at, it's really at the beginning maybe of a romantic relationship where one or both of the people are completely besotted with each other. They're just totally, uh, you know, o- overwhelmed with, uh, with uh, the, the newness uh, and the, uh, the, the, the love in, in the relationship. Uh, and that kind of thing, that doesn't endure in this world. It, some people ever, you know, will say uh, that uh, such uh, r- romantic things, uh, you know, will in some unique care, uh, relationships, but I don't think it works without a great deal of, um, uh, you know, so support, a great deal of effort. Uh, the honeymoon period, uh, as we call uh, that, uh, that you'll see some of that. Maybe you'll see most of that, but you don't see that continuing uh, through life. You don't see that continuing in relationships unless there's some serious work being done Unless there is a a real uh, uh, you know spiritual heart uh, in one or both of those uh, in the relationship, so this kind of love is defined greatly in the scripture. Now, what we find is the scripture tells us that this is the love that God has for man. We didn't study too awful long ago in John, the most famous gospel summary passage. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here's the love that God had, and he did what was best for us. He did it out of an affection for us, out of a kindness to us. He did it as best for us that we might not perish but have uh, eternal life. And you go to Romans 5 and find out he did that for us while we were yet sinners. Right? We, we, there, there was no reciprocation in the relationship. There was no return, uh, but he loved us first. And so this love, the reason why we should have it, and the reason why it's the spirit that produces it in us, is this is the love that God had for us. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world doesn't know us, because it didn't know him. 1 John 3, 1. And so there's a certain otherworldliness to this love, uh, people can see it in action and people can appreciate it at times, but they, they oftentimes in the world don't understand why someone would be that self-sacrificing, why someone would give, be so motivated to do uh, such a thing, because it ultimately comes from God. This is the love that Christ came and that he showed for us. Jesus said, as the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. We have this love taught to us and and producing us by the Spirit because Christ brought it to us. Again, he did it while we did not reciprocate love to him. We love because he first loved us while we were helpless. Again, I mentioned Romans 5. We'll read it now. Romans 5, 6, while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
And so there's the love. Christ died for us, the sinner, because he had the love to do so. And so it's like Ephesians 3 says, that uh, we are to come to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And so there are things that are beyond what we can hardly explain. There are things beyond which we don't hardly even know about, uh, but we are still to come to know it. So it's beyond knowledge, but it says we're to know it. And we know it by experience. We, we know it as we see it and we've received it. Uh, we know it as uh, if this uh, fruit of the Spirit is come alive in us. We know it as we, we've shown that love to unloving people. And you think about it, what Christian is there hasn't shown love to an unloving person, to an unlovable person, to a person who doesn't reciprocate with love. Yet we do it because, you know, we're to follow the golden rule, treat other people uh, as uh, we'd like to be treated. We're to love our neighbors ourselves. And sometimes our labor, he doesn't love us back. Sometimes he hates us back. But we do that and we go, I'm going to continue to do that. And you know, we sometimes be asked by people, why, why do you do that? I mean, it's obvious. He doesn't like you. Why do you like him? Why, why are you doing that? I, I don't understand. I don't get it. And you say, well, because Christ loved me that way. And I was that unlovable, possibly. Uh, I, I was that one who was an unworthy recipient. And so we come to know that love, that love of Christ, that's beyond knowing, it's beyond knowledge, but we know it by experience. We've experienced it ourselves, and we can have a small taste of what it was like for him to have done that for us when we do it for somebody else. And so we can come to know it only really as we experience it. We can't, we can't fully explain it. We can't convince somebody, uh, you know, what, what this means to us. We can't convince somebody with the right words, uh, you know, so that the, they, they're just compelled to believe it in spite of themselves. They, they, they can, we can explain it to them as best we can, but until they open their heart to uh, see what God has done, until they you know, uh, open their heart to receive what the neighbor has done, until they lower the, the pride, uh, until they recognize uh, the help given, you, they just can't know it. So it's from the Spirit for us. It was shown to us and given to us in Christ. It was shown to us and given to us in Christ by the Father. So the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, this is their kind of love. This is their kind of love. And we're to not only be the recipients of it, but the purveyors of it. Uh, we're to uh, shine His light uh, as He gives us light. We're to be the salt in the world as he has made us salty. We're to be the love uh, in the world that he's given us. So, again, we have, we, we have this responsibility. The goal of the instruction, is, as we read a while ago from 1 Timothy 1, the goal of our instruction, Paul said, is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the gospel isn't producing this in us. Either we've been listening to the wrong gospel, we've not been getting the right teaching, pointing us in this direction, or we've not been receiving that teaching as it's been given, that we've in some way been rejecting it, and we're hearing it, and maybe we become, you know, reasonable students of theology or of Bible knowledge or worse, of Bible trivia, but uh, it needs to be received uh, and produce in us this kind of love. The, the goal of the instruction is not so that we can outline the Bible. The goal of the instruction is not uh, so uh, that we can 
uh, you know, be knowledgeable of what's in each book of the Bible. The goal of the instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincerity of faith. And so we can have a lot of knowledge uh, without uh, having met the goal. Uh, we can conform in an outward way to many of the teachings and practices uh, of uh, the life of the disciple, yet still miss the heart of it, still miss the, the love from the pure heart, still miss the good conscience. So we can miss the heart of it, we can miss the mind of it, we can miss the sincerity of it, and still have an outward appearance of being you know, rather conformed to it. But until that love from a pure heart, until that good conscience and sincerity of faith is present, then it's, it's not going to fully work. We're going to be doing things we don't want to do. We're going to be doing them with limits that's, well, I think I've done enough. I'm, I'm done uh, because, you know, I don't really care for this. If you don't really care for this, you'll find the limit pretty quickly. If I don't care for a thing, I don't like very much of it. If I like a thing, give me all you got. And so we need to love this uh, uh, truth. Uh, we need to love this teaching, not because we, it's the teaching itself, because the teaching reveals to us God. The goal is the pure heart, good conscience, and a sincere faith. And so then we can follow the instructions as we ought. So we could do what the Good Samaritan did out of real concern for the other guy, not ourselves. Or we can, we can fulfill Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. What could compel us to love everybody, to do good for everybody? This love from a pure heart, that's what would do it. We could love our enemies, as Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, you shall love your enemy, uh, excuse me, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. What? I don't like them. They're my enemy. Yeah, but you can still seek the best for them. Over time, if they're so much in your prayer and in your thoughts and concerns, you might even develop some kind of affinity for them. And you might have emotional connection to wanting what's better for them. But you can start. You can start with agape, which is just seeking the best for them. You can definitely start with that. In order, as it says, and so here's why you should, in order that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. For he causes his son, <laughs> that's his son, that's not mine. I'm not in charge of the son. I might have turned it down today a little bit if I was, but it's not my son. It's his son, and in August it's his good pleasure that's really hot. It's not mine, but it's his. But it's good for us. It's good for us to have these warm seasons because we know the cold ones will come soon enough, and we need, we need them both. But he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, to send rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward of you? Do not even tax gatherers do the same. If you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than they? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So he causes his son to work for everybody. And he causes these other things to be given to them as well, if they but come to him. And so just imagine if God says, you know, I don't want my son to shine on those people today. What would that be like? I know exactly what it'd be like. It'd be like a plague because it wasn't one of the 10 plagues of Egypt that God did what? He caused darkness on the land. He didn't cause his sun to shine on the Egyptians that day. And what did it do to them? It wrecked them. It was a plague. It was unnerving to them. It was, 
It was unbelievable. There's another time he caused the sun to be darkened for a time at the crucifixion of Christ to exhibit in one way his displeasure, I think, with the things that they were doing and the reason they were doing it. Yet at the same time, since it was for our good, he had it go through. And that was his plan to carry it through in that way. But just imagine those times when God has withheld his son. It's a plague. And if the son, S-U-N, is withheld, how much more if we're withheld from the son, the S-O-N, what a plague for us, what a disaster for us. But God gave to his enemies and to his friends, to his covenant people and to those outside the Gentiles. He gave his son, his only begotten son, just as every day he gives his son that's up in the sky. And so we have this love that's required and requested of us. And, and we are so far from the divine standard as we come from the world and seeing the world that we need to be taught this in the most remedial of fashions. Uh, think about this instruction, Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives. Man, if there's one thing you'd think Christians wouldn't need to be told, right? Husbands, you guys are in the place of Christ. Your wife, your bride is in the place of the church. What would you do? Well, we're, we're, we're told what to do because we need the remedial version. Love your wives. Love your wives. As Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then, as a parent, father, don't provoke your children to wrath. Right? But bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. And so from the world, we have so learned not to be loving. From the world and from within our own selfish hearts, we have so learned to look out for ourselves that on every level the gospel gives us this basic teaching, which should almost be insulting to us, except we know we need it. And that cuts us that we even know we've been taught we have to do it. And so to our wives, to our children, or to our brethren, John 3, 30, uh, 35, by this all men will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. This will be the way the world sees discipleship. I wonder how many people could prove they were disciples by that test. Jesus said, this is how the world will know you. So to brethren, love your brethren. To, Hebrews, to the Hebrew brethren, let brotherly love continue. There at least it's not, you know, hey, get started. No, it's you're doing it, but, but make sure... Make sure that you keep doing it. And, and then on this topic, here's one of these passages where the phileo and the agape love are used interchangeably. Since you have an obedience to the truth, purified your souls for in sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. So we have love there twice in English. We have a sincere love of brethren and a fervent love from the heart. Now, I didn't mark it down in my notes, and I've forgotten. I've forgotten which one of those two is agape and which one of those two is phileo. But look at the instruction. Do you think it matters that we would sincerely phileo, the warm, tender affection, from uh, the brethren, or that we would sincerely agape, the active goodwill and, and, and benevolence for the brethren, or fervently love, fervently, fervently phileo, the warm, tender affection from the heart, or fervently agape, the active goodwill and doing the best for from the heart. They're both there. I just forget which one's which, because in this passage, they mean the same thing. They mean have your heart in it and have the best in it for everybody.
at all times. And so that's why we have such instruction as Timothy was given, that uh, he was to respect the older men uh, and that he was to uh, be a brother to the younger men and he was to treat the older women as mothers. And then it mentions he's to treat the younger women as a sister, but it goes ahead and puts in in all purity, in all purity. Make sure that little piece is there too. Don't forget the purity part. So seek the best for. And so some people say, oh, I just... I just love them, but then they, they, they do things that are destructive, especially when people have uh, romantic love and uh, they'll do things that are untoward and, and not scriptural. And they'll say, oh, I just, I just had to. I just loved them too much. No, you loved yourself too much. Or you could have been pure in your love. Real love is always pure and sincere. And if you really can't contain yourself, you need that kind of uh, relationship with a the person, there's an honest way to do it. But so many aren't seeking an honest and pure and helpful way, a society building way, a cultural building way, a family building way. They're just seeking their own. Nobody ever loved somebody so much they just they just had to. Uh, they loved their pleasure so much that it got a hold of them. And so we find, as it says in Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. So nothing that's ever harmful or wrong is ever out of love. It's just not. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Oh, I do this because I love you. No, no, you didn't. Now, we might use that I do this because I love you in a difficult thing that a person in immaturity might not recognize, such as discipline to a child. But that's really seeking the best for them, isn't it? And so, yeah, there might be a time when you say, you, you know, you'll understand this was love later. Uh, but generally, unless we're, unless we're saying that to our kids, it's probably not true. I'm sure you can come up with a reason where an example where it is. But if another person's not not getting the seeing a benefit, if the other person is viewing this as a wrong, there's a quite quite good likelihood that it is. And godly discipline might be the only exception, at least the only one I can commonly think of. So, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love is therefore the fulfillment of the law. So love is a fulfillment of the law. And so let's live by uh, what was taught. But we understand we're living now by the Spirit, not by the law, but all the good things you thought the law would have brought and all the bad things the law would have forbid, love will cover it. That's what Paul says. And so let's do the things that are helpful and loving. Uh, one of the passages that love shows up, maybe kind of uh, surprisingly, Maybe you wouldn't have expected it there. The passage on attendance, uh, Hebrews 10, where you consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We start by being together. Uh, the instruction that comes of God and the instruction that's given uh, in the gospel, that is uh, love. Uh, we think about a service that's given, uh, like we had just before the text we read, Galatians 5.13. You were called for freedom, brethren, but don't use your freedom as an opportunity for evil or opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in this one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so through love serve. So love instructs, love is together, uh, love, love serves, uh, love uh, forgives. And we'll end with this. Love forgives. 
Peter came and asked the Lord in Matthew 18, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother if he sinned against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, no, I don't tell you seven times, but 70 times seven. And then he taught the parable of the unmerciful servant. And we think also about the Lord's Prayer, where we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. Forgiveness and a lot of this is like Romans, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not take to account a wrong suffered. It's easy to give when you're not counting the wrong. Oh, you need to be forgiven of that? Oh, not a problem. <laughs> I'm not holding against you that, against, that against you now. Easy to do when we have love. And so here's our first of our inward attitudes that the Spirit is to produce in us, replacing those things of the flesh with what the Spirit produces. First one, love. Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Malvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.